Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Scream Picks Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Kip Bowen. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about the next Marvel installment, Black Widow, as well as uh, going to review the two Fear Streets that are currently streaming on Netflix. Joining me is my very good friend, Joel Amos. How are you doing today, Joel? I am fabulous. Thank you very much. Ready to talk Black Widow. Woohoo! No. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we've said this many times before, but it, it was a very bleak year yes, last year without very much, <laughs> without very many uh, Marvel movies to, uh, to look forward to. And then we had WandaVision on Disney Plus and that kind of, you know, sort of, Gave me, brought it all back for me, let's just say. And I feel like the whole, um, the whole uh, momentum behind Marvel is just growing and growing. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't yeah. know how to stop. I mean, we may say there hasn't been a Marvel movie in theaters for a year, but nobody's been in theaters for a year. All right. Exactly. But we still miss them. And so seeing them on the big screen again was, was fantastic. Um so uh, it's basically, this is long time in the making. Um, obviously, it was postponed for by over a year uh, to finally come out. But it is a, uh, a look at Natasha Romanoff, played by Scarlett Johansson, and it takes place between Civil War and Infinity War. Um, also stars of Florence Pugh, David Harbour, Rachel Weiss, uh, Ray Winstone, uh, just a great cast. So I'll let you start us off. What did you think of Black Widow? Absolutely <laughs> loved it. I mean, it's hard to say, like, if I'm, like, a starving man coming out of the desert and I was just given a saltine <laughs> and I say this is the best thing I've ever eaten um, or if this is really a great movie. But either way, to me, it rocked. And Yeah. <laughs> um, That's and, a great and, way of thinking it, yeah, this is the best saltine I've ever had. Now, you haven't had like water, which is... <laughs> um, <laughs> but seriously, this, this, this movie and, and the brain trust at Marvel just kind of does it again. It's like, okay, how are you going to give us a Black Widow movie? You just killed her in Endgame. Well, you sandwich it between Civil War and Infinity War. And she's on the run. And what better time to reconnect with the family and right or wrong. And I just, I love that story. And I can't imagine how many stories they went through to make it work. But this is the money one. And not only does it work because the story is great, there's several things that work here. One, the family. The family is priceless. Marvel is a marvel at this. And they are unbelievable in, in melding timelines to fit what they need and having it work. And so before I go further, I like, I want a second movie with that family. David Harbour, Rachel Weisz, Florence Pugh, and Scarlett Johansson are gold together. They, I just want to, I want to go other places with them. And I thought that was fantastic. I also thought that um, the bad guy played by Ray Winstone was just incredible. And Marvel Mm -hmm. movies and their success and, their, their, their resonance all lie, honestly, not necessarily with the heroes, but how bad the villains were or how well-defined the villains were. 
And this is one well-defined villain. And he is responsible for the hell that some of our beloved characters have gone through. So Mm -hmm. this is a very personal movie. And the other thing I have to say is when Natasha first showed up in Iron Man 2 about a decade ago, she was, she was a great character, but the second she landed and Tony Stark turned to Pepper Potts and said, I want one, it was like she was this kind of sex symbol object who still kicked butt. And through Scarlett Johansson and her performance and her say in this character and Marvel working with her over the years, she has become a fully-fledged empowered woman that I would feel very comfortable having my young daughter look up to. I agree. I agree. I loved it, too. I loved it, too. I mean, we could talk a little bit about some of the backlash that we've heard on it and whatnot, but, uh, you know, it's got an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, and, and I, I feel like, you know, it just it, – it, it serviced this character beautifully. Um, and, you know, the thing about – I just want to say the thing about Natasha, you know, as played by Scarlett, she was, she's always been – um, she's been an integral part, but she's also, she's always been the straight man. You know, she really is very no nonsense. She's, she does what she has to do. She doesn't, you know, there isn't a whole lot of, of comic relief or anything when it comes to her. She is just pure badass, you know, focused on what she has to do. And, you know, that, that kind of a character is sometimes hard to, uh, you know, give – they they don't stand out as much. And so everybody kept saying, yes, we love Natasha, but why can't we see a movie all just about her? And the thing is, is that she is who she is. This is what the character is, right? And she does exactly what mm-hmm. she's supposed to do so brilliantly that even in this movie, she is also surrounded by great supporting characters. Um, mm-hmm. And I think some people are, are are feeling like, oh, she didn't get her due. This doesn't seem to she doesn't you know she deserves more than this. But I don't think that that's true because this is who this character is, in my opinion, anyway. I, you know, she she was you know had a horrible childhood and and uh, you know was forced into all of this horrible things, but she you know came out of it and and found her own way and found her own way you know, through through support and love from, from her fellow, you know, Avengers and, and also to now we know to some degree also from her sort of fake Russian family. Um mm-hmm. of course everyone keeps talking about Florence Pugh and this and she's just <laughs> mm-hmm. I also just love this actress. I love her face. I just I mm-hmm. she's endlessly watchable. And she comes off as <laughs> just as badass as Scarlet and of course but you know she got she got to have a little bit more comic relief in it. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. the best part is when she's like, "What is that pose that you do?" She said <laughs> to, start, to, to Natasha, "What is that? What's that thing with you know?" And you do this thing around. So anyway, it's it's a, and that's kind of a running gag through the through the film, and I love it. But also, David Harbour is fantastic. Of course, he's just another one of those actors that I just. You know, whatever he ends up doing, I love. Even the Hellboy that he did, he wasn't his fault. <laughs> he tried his best. No. But he was still, yeah, he was literally the best part of the movie. Um, and, of course, Rachel Weisz. She just sort of lent 
she she kind of brought a gravitas to this. I felt like you know. Also, she got to be a little badass, and I'm you know honestly, if if any actor out there is approached by Marvel to say, hey, you want to be in a Marvel movie, you know, you might be able, you'll have to get into shape, and you may have to do some action. Who would not say no to that? <laughs> huh? At this point, I mean, literally anyone, right? No, and and they're like, yeah. Well, and then you. You look at like you know who they've gotten. You know they 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 got Robert Redford for goodness sakes to appear in a Marvel movie. William Hurt. This one has William Hurt. Um, you know uh, um, Michael Douglas and Ant Man. I mean, yeah. th- these aren't shabby. You know, these are a list the best of the best. Yep. Because you know, and I know superhero movies get a knock. There's so many of them, and yes, there are so many of them. But it's like I like to say about Starbucks, you know, when you can make a cup of coffee as good as Starbucks, then we can have a conversation about competition. Because right now, Marvel <laughs> is is killing it the in bomb. the story department. Hmm. Because story is always the most important thing. I mean, audiences will turn out mm-hmm. in droves for a spectacle. But if it doesn't have the story, they won't come back. And audiences have been coming back to Marvel movies for 11 years now. Continuously. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're having batter yep. than I that we're going to get like three or four this year. People are like, excellent, bring it on, David Harbour and Rachel Weisz. I mean, David Harbour was unbelievable. I mean, he was the Russian bear, and you just wanted to give him a big old hug. And that Rachel <laughs> Weisz was the quintessential Soviet woman, the red menace yep. Soviet woman. And she yet was also very maternal, and one could argue held that family together. And... You know, here you have dad being all goofy in his suit. It still fits. You know, like, you got fat. You know, and, and <laughs> it's just, there. there's a humor there that, that, that Black Widow never had. And so, and also, I, I wanted to leap back to um, the comment about um, she didn't get her own movie. Well, if you look back at every single Marvel right. movie, I'm not going to do that because we don't have six hours. But um, no one ever does it alone. I mean, right. you can look even to Loki on TV. I mean, he's 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 get, kind of gathering himself a little team of people, and he's a villain. So, like, <laughs> no one ever does it alone. I mean, even Tony Stark in Iron Man 3 had that kid helping him. And, like, it just, it's, it doesn't work like that. I mean, it would be a pretty boring right. movie if Scarlett Johansson was just out there kicking butt. You know, this had some meat yeah. to it, some emotional, something to grab onto. And I, and I thought that right. director Kate Shortland was just fantastic. She had such con- command of the material, the ebbs and flows, the, the beats, the laughter, the seriousness, the action sequences. The jailbreak was amazing. Like, I rewound that oh, and watched it again. That was my favorite. Was like, One of my favorite uh, action sequences that I've seen in a long time. Long and, time. And, and how... And how it ends with the helicopter coming apart and David Harbour being like, what do you expect? It's a Soviet helicopter. I mean, like, they were not known for building things very well. <laughs> so it's just, it's a joy. And, and I don't think it's just the guy coming out of the desert who loves assault team. I think this generally is a fantastic film. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And um, look, and it, and it, you know, it, like you said, Kate Shoreland, she she really does a nice job, and she doesn't over bloat things. You know, I mean, she was very thrifty in her in her editing, and and I always appreciate that because I mean, honestly, 
if I have to say anything negative about any of these movies, Marvel, whatnot, is that their action sequences can go on too long. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is, and I I'm not, I I've, I've accepted it, but when they when they kind of you know shorten it or whatever, then then I'm very thankful for it. Of course, the climactic battle sequence in this one it does go on a bit, but there's all these varying you know people that were following kind of things, so it's not like um, you know it's the same fight over and over again. I'm just going to push you over here now. We'll fight over here, and you push you back over here. We're going to fight over here, you know. It's definitely more about, okay, this person has to get to this place and that person has to get to that place. And it was just, it was all done very well, I thought, very economi- uh, economically. Um, yeah, this movie and is I, crisp. I, you know, and I love that. Yes, crisp. It's it a is very crisp. good word. It cooks. <laughs> it just cooks and it's crisp. It doesn't linger. I mean, we don't need long establishing shots. I mean, the motorcycle chase, which I'm not giving anything away because it's in the trailer. I mean, you're like, oh, my goodness, we're going to have a massive car chase. And then Florence Pugh takes over, and next thing you know, it's over. I mean, that was it. But it was thrilling, and and now we can move on to the next thing. And in the process, we learned a lot about these two sisters. I know. I I also love Florence Pugh's line, well, that's a cool way to die. (laughs) (laughs) She was all about, yeah. She was, yeah, it's, it's, it was, you know, it was very, I thought it was very well uh, serviced for, for that character for Black Widow. And, and, you know, I don't know, I guess maybe this is just a one, one off and we won't, won't probably have any more of these, but at least not with, not with Scarlet in them. I'm not sure though. Who knows? We can never know. <laughs> the way they, the way they mess with the timeline and the multiverses now, anything's possible. Anything's possible well, at this point. I mean, Tony I, could come back. I, I mean, anybody, anybody could come back. I don't know <laughs> if the news has has. I mean, I think I got this number right. It made like thirty million dollars last night in theaters. Wow. Yeah, I'm so, telling. You. Well, yeah. like I was saying last week, F9 made a ton of money too. So people are people are really ready to come see movies again. So that's a really good yeah. sign. But this is also. Yeah streaming on Disney Plus on premium, so if you can't get to a movie theater and want to gather a whole bunch of people together in your house and spend $30, then then you can watch it in your home as well. $30. I'm glad I got to see it in the theater, though. I was very happy to be there. I was all in it. Um, And, of course, as as always, this is the... Apparently, this is the kickoff to Phase Four. Although, you know, the, some of the, mm-hmm. the TV shows obviously are the the Disney Plus shows have, have also kicked off Phase Four as well. But this this movie kicks off Phase Four, and you can see why because you know there is a post credit scene, which I won't you know yep. give any spoilers here, but certainly uh, yeah. it lends itself to knowing what's going to happen next. <laughs> yep. I'm excited. Yep. I'm, I'm I'm in it. I'm for it. I mean, I would give this, of, I don't know, four and a half stars. How about you? Yeah, four and a half. I mean, it, it's it's not like a perfect movie, but like it is entertaining no. as all get up. And four and a half stars. Yeah. Uh, if you're even thinking about returning to theaters, do it. Because this is the movie yeah. to to celebrate the, the return yeah. of our greatest pastime, which I think is our greatest pastime. <laughs> Yes, because F9 is just too silly for words, and I just don't count that. But 
this one definitely needs to be seen on the big screen if you can do it. So absolutely. And you know what? I do have to say that if Scarlett never comes back, I'm going to miss her. This was she, even though she was the straight man, Natasha was one of my faves in the whole, in the whole well, thing. I, I don't I just see love... why there can't be another adventure between these two movies. I mean, why not? What they yeah, just true. showed us took what, like two weeks, three weeks, maybe of time and movie time. Like, so two True. months later, something else happens. We, and there's, you know, Black <laughs> Widow, too. Okay. All right, Joel. You write that one, will you? Will you write that one? Let them know on about it. it. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Um, all right, so moving on, we're going to talk quickly about the two movies that are getting a lot of buzz right now on um, on Netflix. They're streaming on Netflix. It's actually a trilogy called Fear Street. And parts one and two have already uh, dropped on Netflix. It's based on the uh, R.L. Stein books. Um, and everyone's sort of ra- uh, tailing these as sort of a return to the, the 80s and 90s sort of slasher movies and whatnot. Um, also Scream, you know, has elements of Scream in it. Uh, the first one was called uh, Part One. It was, took place in 1994. Uh, you come to find out a, a group of teenagers uh, accidentally encounter ancient, ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years called Shadyside. Um, you come to find out there's a, there's a witch, who's, there's a curse on the town, and sure enough, all of these, throughout, throughout time, all of these uh, serial, kill, serial killers have popped up in this town killing people. Um, uh, like I said, the first one took place in 1994. We'll talk about that one first. It's also both of them. The second one we'll talk about took place in 1978. They're both directed by uh, Lee Janiak. Uh, but the 1994 one, I was start off just like a scream, you know, sort of a, mm-hmm. a shout out to scream with Maya Hawk in a mall, and you know, and all of a sudden she's being chased by a, you know, a wielding, uh, knife-wielding maniac and whatnot, and it was very, very thrilling. And then you come to find out about what's going on in the town and whatnot. So what did you think of the first one, 1994? I I really enjoyed it. I mean, I I kind of a bit reluctantly went in to watch this because I was just like, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like it it wasn't something that I thought would grab me, and it grabbed me immediately. Mm -hmm. And Maya Hawk was, was very much the, the, the Drew Barrymore character at the beginning of Scream. And, I mean, I loved what she was doing. I wish she was in it more. But, you know, hey, somebody's got to die at the beginning of a slasher movie, so why not Maya Hawk? Um, <laughs> so in a mall with, like, seven other people. And, um, right. yeah, it just, it just grabbed me. And, and I, I like a horror movie. And you can tell with both of these films that it's based on a book. Um, because these yeah. characters are rich. They're three-dimensional. Uh, they're, they're, they're those ebbs and flows that are very important to storytelling that are in here. This is not just uh, a slasher, fic, slasher flick for the sake of being a slasher flick. Um, this is about friendship. This is about love. This is about relationship. This is about uh, being born on either side of the tracks, so to speak, and what that does with your life. And uh, I'm also fascinated by the whole any kind of connection a movie can make to witches of the 1600s. I think that is just a fascinating <laughs> thing. And they, obviously this entire town is haunted by the death of a wish from 1666, i.e. the name of the third chapter. 
Um, right. And I just, I was, I was along. And, and I also got to give them credit. You want to talk about crisp. Um, music yes. costs a ton of money, a ton of money. So too often filmmakers get the rights to a song and they'll give you like two minutes of it you know, rather than the whole four or five minutes of that song. Because, I mean, gosh darn it, I just paid $2 million to have this song in my movie. We're going to hear the damn song. Well, <laughs> I get really into a little Bush machine head. It's one of my favorite songs. And then it cuts to, like, the orchestral score as things get intense. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, kudos to that for, like, giving us, you know, 45 seconds of a great song and then fading it out because it really doesn't matter. Yep. It's a tone setter. That's all it is. And it felt like 1994. I mean, the way that it kid did. was typing in the, in the AOL chat room, um, the idea that there really weren't cell phones anywhere yet. Um, and I think that's always great for a story when you're dealing with people that are scared and running from something or someone. If there's no cell phones, there's no way to, to resolve this quickly. Um, I just, you know, I was just really impressed. I mean, I finished the, the movie. I didn't move. I, I didn't pause it once. Um, and I just, I just had a blast. I thought it was a great cast. Uh, it grabbed you. I mean, and sometimes they throw these kids together, and you're like, ah, I don't buy it. But there's something about they're all so different, but they're all united by this terrible thing that's happening in their town. And boy, do they bond. I mean, I loved the bond of those kids and how it yeah. all kind of comes together. Yeah. And it's just, it's a slasher flick. I mean, I'm not, do not yeah, expect it, a happy ending. Is. But no. I just, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big slasher film. That's just not my uh, my forte, but uh, or my my love of film. I don't like they're my least favorite kind of horror films. But all the things you just described, uh, you know, the characters, the the storyline, and you know, all of that kind of lended itself to be more entertaining for me than just watching kids getting fat stabbed all, you know, all over the place. And sure enough, there's a lot of, you know, blood and guts in this. So, you know, don't, don't expect it to be, because R.L. Stein's books are generally more for kids. He does, he did the Goosebumps series and whatnot. So it's kind of a, you know, sort of a watered down version of being scary, but this is, this is pretty much just a flat out slasher type movie. And there's, there's some pretty gruesome deaths. So, you know, beware of that. But that being said, I was still, I was still in it. And you know what, to be honest with you, I really liked the ending of, of the first one because mm-hmm. clearly there's a situation going on that, that they're going to have to solve, which then brings us to the second one, which is 1978. However, it, it, it starts from a continuation of what we just watched. So these, these, the, the survivors, so to speak, are now trying to figure out how to, how to uh, break the curse or whatever they need to do to, to 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 make the town whole again, kind of thing. And so they end up uh, seeking out a uh, a survivor of the Camp Nightwing massacre, massacre which happened in 1978. Uh, and so then, of course, we then go flashback to 1978, and that also stars another Stranger Things alum, uh, Sadie Sink, uh, and she's, you know, kind of the main just of this one as well. Um, you know, they're at camp right now, and and uh, <laughs> all the mean girls in camp are, like, you know, mean against her, and then you've got the camp counselors, and, you know, so then you, you've got a sort of the Friday 13th vibe going on. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I liked this one, too. I thought I liked the continuation of it. Um, I think maybe in the second one, the characters aren't as developed or, you know, as quite as well as they were in the first one. Um, but, you know, I still I still was in it and, and was, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to, you know, survive, of course, and then, you know, the curse and whatnot. And now that they're out in the woods, you know, and the, the curse, like we said, is picked from, from a witch who, you know, died there in 1666 or was burned at the stake at six, in 1666. So, um it's uh you know trying to trying to break the curse again and once again it was pretty uh, gruesome in parts not quite as gruesome as the first one though i don't think <laughs> i mean you know axes are, are one thing but like that thing in the first one was the ew that the fire. thing anyway anyway uh so what did you think of the second one um, I like the second one, not as much as the first one. Uh, again, they also have both use music fantastically uh, to kind of set the tone and not necessarily be a crutch. Uh, too often it's a crutch to say, okay, this is a, the year we're supposed to be set at. But, like, it also looked like 1978. Um, I went to a camp in 1978, and I could have sworn that was the camp. Um, you know, <laughs> so I'm, I mean, it, 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 they, the, the production design was fantastic on both of these. Um, yeah. It just felt like, yeah, the second one just wasn't was just a hair less. Uh, I don't know, not enthralling, but I kind of did kind of squirm a little bit instead of just sat like right through and glued. Um, but I also, now that I've thought about it for a few hours, I'm thinking that a lot of times the middle chapter in a trilogy is kind of eh when you're when you when you're done watching it or it's just it's not as great as the right. first one but you still kind of liked it and then the third one makes the second one even better so i'm right i'm withholding a full opinion on 1978 until i see 1666 and i i'm <laughs> i'm i'm thinking it's going to follow that pattern that many many a movie has before where the second chapter is about connecting the first to the third less than it is about being an individual movie. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I was about the same age as these kids in 1978. So the music for me this time was, was even better. <laughs> so I'm going to have to say that, yeah. but I mean, 1994 was good, but 1978, that was, that was, those were some of my jams for sure. Um, so yeah, the music oh, is such one, a great part of it, but you're right. Go ahead. One more thing about the music. Um, Something that I thought was just brilliant, brilliant, is this episode starts with, it's in 1994, and starts with Nirvana's uh, unplugged version of The Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie. And then in 1978, they play the David Bowie version of The Man Who Sold the World in a very emotional moment. (laughs) And so I thought the connection, the tether between those two, that took a lot of thought. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I didn't even put those two together, but yes, yeah, I was, uh, it, it was, it, like you said, I feel like, it, you know, as a standalone film, it was, it was, you know, it, it served its purpose and clearly, we, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's giving us, you know, sort of nostalgic vibes for uh, either the screen movies and now the Friday 13th movies. So then 1566, I'm not entirely sure what that, what vibe that'll give us, maybe The Witch, but um, mm-hmm. other than that, uh, 
Yeah, I, I feel like the third one's going to tie it all together really well. And that drops next week, so we'll be able to talk about that one next week. But like I said, the the, the buzz around these films, though, is, is pretty spectacular. Everyone seems to be really loving it and sort of, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like kind of like what American Horror Story did when it first first aired, you know, giving us kind of that the scary vibes. Uh, but this time, you know, more more on lines with paying homage to other to other scary movies. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the next one as well. Actually, um, I'm glad I'm watching them. Nice. For me, per- personal, I'm glad I'm watching them on a smaller screen. <laughs> I think if I were watching if I were watching these on the on the big screen, I'd probably be a little more of a scaredy cat about it. So, <laughs> at least for this one, I can like turn the sound off for a second. Ooh, well, I do not I also, like stabby stabby movies. I I am not either. I, that's probably what my initial reluctance was to this these three movies because I'm not a big slasher fan at all. But these movies, I I I would watch them again. I really would. And yeah. And the thing is, um, you know, these are very rewatchable. And I know going into '66 that. I mean, I love stories about witches of, of that era, and I just can't Me wait too. to see what Me they too. do with this and to see how it plays through the future. And it was funny because as this, this as 1994 ended, it, it, it was like a, it's a really wild concept because you think sequel because it ends, but it doesn't end. So you're like, oh, okay, right. there's going to be another one. But wait a second. The other one takes place like 16 years ago. So yeah. wait a minute. And, like, I love the fact that these are sequels, <laughs> but we're going backwards. So, I mean, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, I can't wait to see how this whole thing comes together. And the, the fans of these books are rabid. Uh, there's even a Fear Street pop-up video store in Hollywood that's got a huge line outside. People are freaking about it. Wow. Um, so, like, this is a big deal. And the fact that these movies are reflective of R.L. Stein's books, basically like the kids grew up in Goosebumps and they graduated to high school and he gave them this. And it's perfect right. because it's just as well written, but it's more their speed. I mean, he, he's an author who grew with his audience and not a lot of authors do that. So, right. you know, I just, I, I, I really am very excited for, for the next chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we'll we'll give our final ratings for the whole series as a whole next week after we watch the third one. But uh, you know, it, yeah, it's definitely in the fours for me. So at this point, so mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the last to the next one. Okay. Well, that should do it for us. We we're out of time now. Um, thanks, Joel, for joining us. Of course, you can read all of Joel's reviews on his website, themoviemensch.com. And next week, we've got a couple of other biggies coming up. We've got Space Jam, the new legacy film. We've got uh, another Escape Room movie. So we've got those to look forward to, plus, of course, Fear Street and I think a few other uh, streaming stuff that we'll be talking about. So join us then, and we'll sign off for now. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.